I'll tell you all about a funny comment I heard after the first service. I walked out during the choral benediction, and this guy walked by, gave me a very firm handshake, and said, Good sermon. And I said, Thanks. He's like, No, I didn't hear it. I was asking, like, how'd it go? It's like, Oh, man, you didn't have to say that. You could have just let me live in my ignorance. I didn't know if you were in there or not. Um, anyways, that was funny. Um, if you're uh, in using the Pew Bible, it's on page 491, Isaiah chapter 11. And I'll tell you that I was excited to come to church this morning, in part because I feel like we're finally getting to more explicitly good news in the book of Isaiah. I feel like Isaiah's been some tough sledding so far as the prophet speaks to the sin in our hearts, pointing us to the ways that we fall short. And very much today, he is pointing us to the answer the good news of what God's done for us through the Messiah. And so if I do this well, if it is a good sermon, you will leave um, with your joy more full in Jesus and seeking after him like we just sang. Isaiah 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember a pretty significant event in my childhood when a tornado came through my community in South Carolina. And the Lord was gracious. None of us were at home. I was off with my dad doing something. My sister was off with my mom. But as we were making our way back to our small town, even closer to our community, it was obvious that something significant had happened. A lot of EMT vehicles out there, a lot of flashing lights, a lot of checkpoints to get through. As we got closer to our house, um, you could see the destruction that had been caused by the tornado. At first, you could see it just in the trees that had fallen down, um, some on the deck behind the house. You could also see it in a big metal desk. You know those big metal desks that were in offices forever? One of those things got thrown through the back wall of our house in our parents' bedroom. Walk around the house, you see things like little broom straws, just stuck into the wall like a dart. And it was just really amazing to see the power of that storm that had come through there. And one of the things that made me sad was that we lost a pecan tree in the front yard. Now, do not get distracted by the way I pronounce that word. You're free to say it however you want to say it. You can be wrong. P-E-C-A-N, pecan. There was a pecan tree in the front yard that we played on a lot growing up. And the pecan tree got blown over with a few other trees And I just figured that the tree was done. 
You know, some people came in and they cut it off at the stump and, you know, there's the tree. The tree's gone. And it was amazing over the next several years to watch it slowly grow back. As these little shoots started popping up through the stump. And if you go to my parents' house today, I can see it like I'm there, you all. And you drive down the driveway, on your left-hand side, there is this huge pecan tree there. And you wouldn't know anything had ever happened if you went there and showed up today. And I was, I was drawn to that illustration or that imagery as I was reading through Isaiah chapter 11 and preparing for our sermon today. Because to this point, you all know that the prophet Isaiah has been talking about the destruction that's coming at the hands of foreign armies because of the sin and the disobedience of the people. And the Assyrians and the Babylonians eventually, they were not nice people. It's nice for us to wrap our hearts and minds around the fact that these were not people that you were like, oh great, the Assyrians are coming, it should be fine. It was bad news, and you heard what had happened to others. And the destruction that would have been left in the wake, if you read through the book of Jeremiah, read through the book of Lamentations, it was a dark season of destruction in the land of Israel. And there were a lot of people among God's people that weren't sure if God hadn't given up on his people. That maybe this punishment that they were suffering at the hands of these foreign nations was his final verdict upon them. And that things were over. Much like I thought about that pecan tree at one point in my life. And Isaiah 11 comes in and joins with really this chorus of hope and restoration that you and I, if we read from chapter 6 through chapter 11, there are some pretty familiar passages that you would think about um, as you're reading and understanding this idea that a Messiah is coming. For example, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, tell me if this is familiar to me, to you. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You probably can't help but think of Christmas at that point, can you? The idea that one day the virgin will bear a son who will be the Savior. Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So Isaiah, in the midst of all these words of destruction and punishment that are coming, he's giving us little little glimmers of hope. Little clues that that God is not going to fully remove his steadfast love from his people. But that one day he's going to send the Messiah. He's going to send someone. And Isaiah chapter 11 for me is this loud shout of God's doing this work through Jesus that his people never could pull off in their own power. God's going to do this work through the Messiah in such a way that it takes account of the ineffectiveness of God's people to live in obedience to his commands. But they need someone to do something for them that they cannot do for themselves. And so Isaiah chapter 11 comes to us with this language of a shoot coming forth from a stump. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch of his roots shall bear fruit. 
Now, recently, if you were still awake at this point in the sermon, we looked at a passage from Isaiah that talked about a vine. Do you remember that? And there was a vine dresser who had planted a vine. He had done everything necessary for it to produce grapes. And he went out and he looked and it produced what? Sour grapes, Isaiah says. So they didn't live in obedience to God's will and his ways. They didn't bear fruit for his kingdom. And so there was judgment coming upon the vineyard. So Isaiah 11 speaks of this one who will, who will be this shoot of new growth, who will come and he will be a part of God's covenant promises. He says he will be a shoot from the stump of Jesse, whose descendant one day was David, whose descendant one day was Jesus. That was the Sunday school softball right there. You got this, right? So Isaiah, and I've, I've been trained to read the Bible this way, that all of it is ultimately Christian scripture. And for us to understand it appropriately, we have to understand it most fully in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so when we read Isaiah chapter 11, it is okay for you to read that and have echoing in your heart and your mind, this is Jesus. And you and I have this great privilege of living in this part of salvation history where what Isaiah only knew in hints and shadows, what his people who heard his message only could kind of fill their way toward, you and I get to see it fully on display in the person of Jesus. That he came into the world and he brought the prospect of new life, not because the people were going to be good enough to obey or to earn something from the Lord, but he was going to do in their place what they could not do for themselves. I kind of chuckled when Mary talked about the Sharpen Up Men's Breakfast coming up on Tuesday. And I I chuckled because she talked about the wonderful sausage gravy. Did any of you make a New Year's resolution to eat more sausage gravy this year? If you do, I mean, I'll tip my hat to you in a major way. But like, probably you did not say, goals for 2024, eat more sausage gravy, right? And, and here we are inviting you to this men's breakfast to say, here, have some uh, fried pork and some sausage gravy, and some biscuits, right? Then at every point, you and I, as we try in our own power and in our own ability to live in obedience to God's will for us, you and I are always frustrated by our attempts. We're always frustrated. That we think maybe for some season we can do it well enough, or maybe for a few days into 2024 we got this. And really the message of Isaiah 11 is that, no, you don't. No, you don't. And and the reason that you don't is because you were fallen and you were sinful. And you didn't need more rules and regulations to climb yourself out of the pit and toward the Lord and to bear more fruit for his kingdom. You needed someone to do that for you. And so Jesus came into the world to be God's perfect planting and righteousness to yield fruit for God's kingdom. Listen to the way Isaiah talks about the Messiah who would come. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So to this point, the people of Israel were not living this way. They had this really small view of who God is, and they thought they could just go to the temple, 
go through the motions, do some stuff, and then head out and live however they pleased. And Isaiah comes in and he says, no, your, your vision of who God is, is is very deficient. He's actually the king ruling over all of creation. And the seraphim are in the temple crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That you and I need a more accurate vision and picture of who God is. And it re- reveals our sin to us and the sins of our community. And so Isaiah has come in and he says, this is the problem and here's God's solution. And this picture of Jesus described in these verses in Isaiah 11, to me this week, they were just so moving to me. That the spirit of the Lord will be upon him and he will show us what it looks like to walk in perfect fear and reverence to the Lord. That if you and I want to see what it looks like to be the perfect humans that God would have for us to be, do you know how we should arrive at that picture? We should look to Jesus. I remember us preaching through John chapter 1 during our Advent sermon series. And and John just goes on and on in his description of Jesus' glory. And the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus. And I walked away from that sermon series thinking, that really is the goal of preaching and discipleship. For us, not to just look at our own sins and failures, the ways that we fall short, but for us to look at Christ And to be reminded of what it looks like to bear fruit from God's kingdom and to walk perfectly in the fear of the Lord. And I think as you do that, the picture of Jesus that you find in the Gospels is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's unsettling at times. But Jesus beautifully walked through this world and showed us what it was like to be in perfect relationship with the Lord and to walk in the fear of the Lord. And one of the things Isaiah said would be true of him is that he would not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, faithfulness the belt of his loins. As I was reading that description of the Messiah and thinking about Jesus' ministry, I was moved to think about the way that Jesus moved toward the people in his day that had been kind of left out on the margins of society. At every point along the way, Jesus is moving through this world in a way that offended the religious leaders of the day because they had kind of figured out, kind of, here's your plan for pursuing righteousness. Follow these rules, follow these regulations, and you can achieve some sense of cleanliness through your obedience. And there were some people, either through just the way they were born or through decisions that they had made or health challenges that they faced, that were on the margins, according to the religious leaders of the day. And who are the people that Jesus was drawn to? Those people. The people who knew that they needed God's mercy and grace or they were without hope. And as I read that, I was just, I was just moved thinking about the way that Jesus came in the flesh and showed us what it was like to be in perfect relationship with God and with other people. And the people that would have said, I'm in the uh, destruction zone of the tornado. I'm without hope. There's no good in me. I have no chance of being a part of God's kingdom. Christ moved towards those people. He said, I've been anointed by the Spirit of the Lord to proclaim good news to the captives, right? Right? 
freedom and release for the poor. In fact, I would submit to you that until you know you're the stump, you really can't be a part of what God's doing through Christ. That if you are coming toward Jesus with some sense of righteousness of who you are or what you know or what you've done, you're more like the people in Isaiah's day who didn't get it, more like the scribes and the Pharisees who didn't get it. But if your eyes are open to your desperate need for Christ, the Holy Spirit is so often pleased to bring new life in those places. And where you and I think about death, what happens is he brings new life through faith in Christ. And then he bears the fruit in us. So the message of the sermon today is not go out and bear more fruit. If you leave and you're like, all right, I want to be like Jesus. I'm going to bear more fruit. High fives, nuts on the way out and go out into the world. Then you've, you've missed the message because you can't in and of yourself bear fruit. The goal and the point of the passage, I think, and of my message is for you to go out and fix your eyes on Jesus. To read Isaiah chapter 11. To read the Gospels. To read Paul's description of Jesus' ministry and what he accomplished through him. And ask God by the power of his spirit to so move your heart that your affection for him grows. And that as you fix your eyes on Jesus, he does this really wonderful work of conforming you more into the image of Christ. And he bears his fruit through you. I think about the resurrection um, after Christ was crucified. And here's the thing. You and I read the gospel accounts, and it's hard for us to feel the devastation that Jesus' first followers felt during those moments. Because we know the answer. Like, we know how this ends, but they did not. And for them, that was the equivalent of an F5 tornado bringing their dreams and hopes down. That Jesus' death on the cross was an example that he was not the Messiah of Isaiah 11. And on the third day, what did God do? He raised him from the dead by the power of spirit. And even now, Christ dwells at the right hand of the Father. So you and I have hope. We have hope. And I'm convinced that as you see Jesus, not whatever Jesus you've had pictured in your mind, not ever thoughts, but as you see Jesus revealed to you on the pages of Scripture, your heart will be melted to love him more. And God will push you out into the world by the power of his Spirit to live for his kingdom. And you will bear more fruit for the kingdom, not because you're awesome and you're doing it right. You'll do it because... Just like if you fix your eyes on idols, you'll become like them. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, you become more like him by the power of God's spirit in you. I'd like you to pray with me. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this message of hope from Isaiah. Lord, we would confess to you that we are not able in our own power to be the people that you call us to be to move out into the world and live lives marked by righteousness and obedience to your word. We are so much like the people of Isaiah's day, and we pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would help us to look to the righteous branch of Jesus who came into the world, who showed us what it was like to live in the fear of you and in perfect relationship with you and others, and our hearts would be melted to love him more 
and that you would conform us more into the image of Jesus as we seek to be agents of your kingdom in this world. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.